John chapter 3, our reading begins on verse one, uh, sorry, on page 1065 and ends on 1066, which is a well-known number. John, John chapter 3. And I guess if there was a poll taken of the uh, five best-known verses in Scripture, um, verse 16 of this passage would be way up there, wouldn't it? Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sounds, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we live in a world, well, probably not a world, a society that is physical and spiritual. We, we live in a, a world that's both physical and spiritual, and yet we live in a society that denies the spirit denies the sense of spirituality. In the society that we live in, it's like people want facts and figures. They want things that are demonstrable. They want to be able to see something. And if you can't see it, then it can't be real. And so whilst there are uh, uh, surveys of our society, when people in, in the kind of secret of a survey reveal that they, they think that there may be something other than the physical, most people default to the physical and, and, and don't live their life in a, in a spiritual awareness. And, and we can see this to be true when we go travelling, can't we? Because when we go travelling, there are other cultures and societies where, where spirit and, and physical are really present. We went to uh, Vietnam in our January holiday and it's, it's very evident that that they believe in physical and spiritual. There, there are multiple uh, uh, superstitions around having to appease the ancestors in order to get good crops in Vietnam. There's this sense that if you want something in the physical, you have to appease the spiritual. So spiritual and physical are in the forefront of people's minds. In reality, for most of humanity, 
humanity has been aware of spiritual and physical. It's actually a very, very recent anomaly in the history of humanity to have a society that doesn't believe that there's a spiritual side to life. It, it's, it's a very real uh, thing in our society, but it's actually rare in human history. And so today, I suppose, with one of the top five verses of, of, of Scripture that are well known, I'm not actually going to preach on that. I'm going to actually invite you into the conversation that Nicodemus has with Jesus, because it's a, it's a conversation where, where Jesus is inviting Nicodemus into the spiritual realm, a and the invitation is to us as well. The invitation for us is to step into the spiritual realm, to step into, to press into, to uh, dig deeper into. And so the invitation for us is to engage with this journey. So we've been on this journey and, and, and you know, uh, thank the Lord for the people who sat down and, and wrote the lectionary because this, this theme is evolving. Last week, we actually looked at Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by the devil. In this first week of Lent, it's very clear that there's a, a, a spiritual battle going on between good and evil. The, the, the opening of Lent is this sense that there is good and evil because we see that in the discussion between the devil himself and Jesus. So as we entered into the season of Lent, there's no doubt that there is a spiritual battle between good and evil. This week, Nicodemus engages in a conversation between the physical and the spiritual. And it's a conversation around being born again and how can I enter into a mother's womb, which I'll get to in a minute. And then next week we enter into uh, the Samaritan woman and the Samaritan woman goes into an argument with Jesus over which physical location they are to worship God and Jesus comes to the conclusion, doesn't matter whether it's your mountain or in the temple in Jerusalem, there will come a day where you will not worship there or here in the physical but you'll worship in spirit and truth. But I'm getting ahead of myself, that's next week. And so we get to this conversation today with Nicodemus, that's a very physical conversation. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at the darkness of night because he's afraid that he'll be exposed as a follower of Jesus. He's a significant religious leader. He has a whole lot of uh, prestige. He has a whole lot tied up in his job. I suppose that's, I, I can identify the challenge of uh, your job being a religious job, that some of your uh, faculties of life are tied up with your uh, spiritual sense. And so if something throws you out of kilter, like it does with Nicodemus, then potentially your whole career is at stake. And so Nicodemus, as this religious leader, should have been waiting for the Messiah, and he was. He was waiting for the Messiah, but he starts to hear that this Messiah, who they've all been waiting for, has come, and that Messiah is Jesus. And so he wants to find out, before he declares public faith in Jesus, before he publicly comes out and says, this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for, he wants to go and have a conversation with him to find out if what he's heard is true. So you see, many Jews actually believed that the Messiah would come and fix the physical reality of Israel. Many Jews at the time of Jesus thought that the Messiah was coming for a very physical reality. They, they, the prophets of the Old Testament said that when the Messiah comes, the Israelites would be liberated, 
didn't say physically liberated, it meant a spiritual liberation and that through their spiritual liberation they would be a blessing to all nations and all nations would come and bow before the Lord. But Jews of the day of Jesus had started to see the Roman oppression, heard these Old Testament prophecies and thought, well, the Messiah must be coming for a very physical liberation. And so they felt as though the Messiah would bring a physical freedom. And so Nicodemus comes asking very physical questions. Are you the one who's going to liberate us from Rome? Should we be getting the forces ready? Is possibly some of the ideas in the back of Nicodemus's mind. They forgot that the Messiah would bring a spiritual kingdom. You see, Nicodemus, like many Jews at the time, believed that just because he was born a Jew, he would in inherit inherit the the kingdom of God. So he didn't actually have to do anything at all to inherit the kingdom of God. Because he was born a Jew, the Jews of the day of Jesus actually believed that the only way a Jew could fall out of the kingdom was that if they actively showed their disbelief in God. It's like the Jews had to earn their way out of the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus comes along to this conversation with Jesus and Jesus drops this bombshell on him and says, no, 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 just because you were born a Jew doesn't mean you're in the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, what do you mean? That's unthinkable. It's, it's like someone from Collingwood thinking, you know, of course I should get my seat at the MCG because that's what was promised to us. How could I not have my seat at the MCG? It's this sense of entitlement that Nicodemus has and many of the Jews had it. And Jesus comes along to say, that your entrance into the kingdom of God is not a physical act, it's actually a spiritual conversion that takes place. What takes place is a sense of spiritual conversion. This spiritual conversion is available to anybody and Jesus is dropping a further bombshell onto Nicodemus and saying, you think you are entitled into the kingdom of God and only Jews are entitled to the kingdom of God, but it's not just for you, it's for everybody. Everybody can come into the kingdom of God by a spiritual conversion, a spiritual awakening. Those who are born Jews and those who are born Gentiles are invited into eternal life. And eternal life is not so much about what happens when you die. I think in recent times, we've turned this concept of eternal life to mean what happens after we die. But Jesus is actually going back to the Old Testament idea that all of time would be a continuum and when the Messiah comes, the day to come or eternal life would begin when the Messiah comes. So the fact that Jesus is inviting Nicodemus into eternal life is his way of saying the Messiah is come, I am the Messiah, you can now enter into eternal life through a spiritual conversion by putting your faith and trust in me. That's the invitation into eternal life. As I was reading this week, um, uh, one of the commentators, uh, Michaels, says, eternal life in this gospel, the gospel of John, is equivalent to the other gospels talking about the kingdom of God. See, sometimes we think when John's talking about eternal life, he's just talking about what happens when we die, but he's actually talking about the same thing that Matthew is talking about. And remember that in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus comes at the very beginning after he comes out of the desert to announce that the Kingdom of God is at hand. You should hear that for code, if that was John speaking, he'd say, after he's come out of the desert, eternal life is available to you today. Not when you die, but when 
you come into the kingdom of God. And Jesus is speaking about this to Nicodemus. It's not simply an endless life, nor is it life after death. It's a kind of life, a new order of existence that characterizes even now the person who believes in Jesus and is born again. So eternal life is available to you now. Potentially, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're living eternal life now. I bet you didn't think that, did you? Because it's a real hard thing. I find the kingdom of God really easy because we pray the Lord's Prayer, Lord, would your kingdom be here on earth as it is in heaven? It's really obvious. But I've always thought of eternal life as what happens when I die. And Jesus is saying, he's going back into the Old Testament understanding that when the Messiah comes in the time of humanity, that that will be the day to come, the time when eternal life begins. So Jesus is announcing a spiritual step. Jesus is inviting Nicodemus to take a step into the kingdom of God. He's saying that the the kingdom of God is available to you. And the question is, does he take it? That's really the, 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 you know, top five Bible verses aside, the the, the crux of this conversation is, is, does Nicodemus step in spiritually? Not, Not physically, not does he kind of understand intellectually who Jesus is. Does, it's not that he, he, he kind of can say, yes, I, I now see that you're the Messiah, but does he actually go all in into a spiritual step into the Kingdom of God? Well, Scripture is probably a little bit unclear about what happens. In, in John's Gospel, um, there's this vague term for religious leaders who believed in Jesus, and there's a, there's a thought that Nicodemus is one of the characters in this uh, passage, Uh, But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise of God. Hear that another way, Nicodemus, if he's in this group, he, he, he likes the prestige of his position more than he wants the presence of God. Because really, if, if you're after the presence of God, then nothing else would matter, would it? Like, what, what, what is it to go to synagogue and have someone say, oh, hello, Rabbi, and, and then to go into the, to, to prayer and have God say, I don't know you. Wouldn't it be better to be uh, 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 in relationship with God, with Yahweh, than to have the accolades of humanity? But let's not maybe be too hard on Nicodemus. We don't exactly know. It doesn't say in the Scriptures very concretely that Nicodemus rejected Jesus, but we do know that Jesus was buried and given uh, uh, the dignity of a full burial because Nicodemus was there at his tomb. In John's Gospel, it says that he accompanied he, uh, Josephus, who, who, uh, Joseph who buried him, uh, was uh, accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier visited Jesus at night, and Nicodemus brought a, a, a way to bury Jesus so that it could be buried within the accordance of the Jewish custom. I, I, I'm not sure, I, I'm not sure that Nicodemus would be at the tomb if he hadn't partly or at least fully made that step into the spiritual reality. I don't think he would have, would have been there. So, I, I want to be light on Nicodemus. I want to, I because the other reason I want to be light on Nicodemus is because there's something of Nicodemus in us, isn't there? Because there's something in us where, where you know, I, I can go into the private, privacy of the chapel there and I can say, God, I'm sold out for you, 
But the question is, when I go out onto the street, am I, am I like Nicodemus or, or, or am, I, am, I more, am I more like Paul who is willing to be stoned and thrown out of towns to, to, to stand up for the gospel? And, and the reality is we can kind of look down on Nicodemus and look up on Paul, but right throughout church history, there's been both types in the church. There are those who've actually uh, sought to stand firm in their faith and it's cost them their life and they've been killed for it. And there's others who have thought, well, if, if I make a public stand, then I won't be able to continue in a particular position and it's possibly better if I continue in a position with a more secretive faith than if I make a public stand and get rejected. And I can see the tension in both. Potentially, I'm more like Nicodemus than I'm like Paul. And I don't know where you stand. And potentially, we can really, as Christians, love to find somebody else to be the Paul character that's going to get stoned and and thrown out of town while we be the Nicodemus. But we can sometimes be critical of the other people who are trying to be like Nicodemus. You see, we don't understand the Scriptures fully to know the heart of Nicodemus. We don't really know what his conversion was. We, we, can, we can allude to it because of his physical acts and, and I know this is a tension between the physical and the spiritual but the fact that he turns up at the phys, in a physical way probably shows that there's a, a spiritual conversion that's taken place. But I think the challenge for us is will we step into the Kingdom of God? The, the invitation that was available to Nicodemus is available to us. The invitation to Nicodemus to, to step in spiritually is open to us. Uh, are we drifting in our spiritual walk with God or are we intentionally making steps to to press in, to dig deeper? Are are the physical realities of the culture around us, a a culture that doesn't believe in the spiritual, is that impacting us? And and we kind of, again, would in the privacy of our prayer, we we might say that we believe in Jesus but then when we go out into a very physically dominated, science dominated, show me the evidence dominated world, we kind of think, oh, my faith doesn't have the concrete signs that I could boldly stand up. You see, Lent is our opportunity to identify our own spiritual biases and then find a way of pressing into that, experiencing the presence of God through our spiritual bias and turning our spiritual bias into a spiritual discipline so that our life may be renewed in the Spirit. Last week at our 6pm service, um, Helena took us through these uh, six key types of spirituality. These are not the only spiritualities, but they're, they're, they're the sort of the dominant spiritualities. I'm not going to unpack them all for us now, but I've asked Helena, would she write something about that in the e-news for next week? Um, I'm away on a leadership conference, and so um, I thought I'll focus on the conference, and it'd be a good opportunity for Helena to share something with you. But Helena challenged each of us who attended 6pm. She put these six before us and she asked us to to go to one of them that naturally filled us, the one where we kind of think, yeah, we we really get filled. Do we we, we naturally gravitate to God's Word or we more want to be in uh, contemplation? Are we more charismatic? Do we like to get out and get busy or are we into social justice or is it all about the way in which we integrate our emotions into our holiness? And, and what was interesting, out of the 16 people at 6pm, there wasn't like everybody drifted to word, like you would think most evangelicals would. Actually, people went to all six. And it reminded me that we each have a spiritual bias. Helena then challenged us and she gave us some micro habits 
micro-disciplines for each one of those, that if that's our core spirituality, how we could dig a little bit deeper. And so, I think the challenge for us in Lent is to dig a little bit deeper into the presence of God, to see Lent as a journey of renewal, where we develop some micro-habits, we don't try and change the whole world, we develop some micro-habits that tap into how we already connect with God, but it makes us go deeper. So, if you're somebody who, uh, for example, um, you're somebody who naturally reads Scripture and you find it a joy and delight, then, then find a way, this Lent, of going deeper into the presence of God through Scripture. If you find that there's, there's nothing more uplifting than getting out and serving people and, and, and God's kingdom breaking into our world through social justice, then, then find a way of developing that during the, the, the time of Lent. This Lent, and I, I've shared it with you, that I, um, I've, I've thought, well, I've got to be more intentional and so each day I'm listening to a, a, an app called Lexio 365, which, which has a morning and evening prayer and it just takes us through uh, a, a prayer of the church, the Anglican church, and, and it's quite meditative. And um, uh, again, if you're someone who's distracted by digital, don't don't pick up Lexio 365 and be on your phone and start checking Facebook. Try try a more analog version. But but I sat this week just where Sandra is, and I want to I want to share you how the invitation to enter into the spiritual happened for me this week. I sat basically where Sandra is sitting there this week and I, I was doing my prayer and, and, you know, Bible reading can become very much about reading the Bible. It's like the task is reading the Bible. And, and as I was um, reading the Bible this week, it was a, 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 passage, a passage that struck me and it was, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you'll receive it and it will be yours. And as I read that, it was like I, I, I actually got sucked into the very presence of God in that. And I didn't keep reading on because I wasn't trying to plough through the Scriptures. Like, the goal wasn't to read the Bible, the goal was to enter into the presence of God. And when that verse came to me, it was like, no, I've got to hang out in the presence of God in this piece of Scripture, I can't go on. Because I don't really pray and then believe that I've received the prayer that I've just asked for. It's like my prayers are wishful thinking. It's like, God, would you do this, but I don't know whether you're going to do it. And then this scripture helped me to enter into the presence of God, basically just where Sandra's sitting, and it kind of made me realise that my faith needs to go deeper in prayer, deeper in Bible reading, to actually believe that the presence of God is available to me when I pray, when I read scripture, the goal is not to just get through the Bible, but to actually enter into the presence of God. And then I, I was, uh, just thought I would again, one of my practices is to listen to some worship music and um, I, I thought I would do that in the same spot this week. And, and to be honest, I can't even remember what song it was. But I remember that as I started listening to it, my, my, my heart just felt the presence of God. And I just started crying out and, and singing the words. I can't even remember what song it was. But I remember being basically in that seat there this week and thinking that the way that I read the Scriptures needs to improve so that the goal is the presence of God through the Scriptures, not just ticking off a Bible reading plan. That the way that God can deliver on the prayers that I'm asking, not just wishful thinking, because I need to enter into the presence of God when I pray. And then when I actually listen to worship music, it's not just about singing along to worship music rather than to the rock radio station, it's actually about entering the presence of God. 
So my challenge to you is, I, I, I actually think that those are, are things that have happened for me this week, but I actually think they're three steps that our church needs. I, I actually think these are three challenges for us that we as a church need to take in order for us to enter into what God wants for our church. And I'm going to talk after the song in a minute, we're going to, we're going to talk about a, a vision for the church. But I think these are three steps. If we want to truly enter into the presence of God and we want other people to come into the presence of God, I think there's three shifts that we need to make. And, and look, I think as evangelicals, and particularly if we come from an evangelical background, we've probably seen a high view of Scripture. You probably even grew up with the idea of no Bible, no breakfast. But I've done those plans as well. And, and half the time, it's just about ticking off, yes, I've done my Bible reading for today. The goal hasn't been to enter into the presence of God. The goal hasn't been to listen to the voice of God. The goal's been about reading the Bible. But I think we need to make a shift. All of us in this church need to make a shift for when we open the Scriptures, it's a tool for us to listen to the voice of God. It's a tool for us to enter into the presence of God. The goal itself is the presence of God, not plowing through the Scriptures. Don't hear this as heresy for evangelicals. I'm all for the Word of God. But the Word of God, the Bible itself, this book, this book is a, is a tool for us to enter into the presence of God. So if you, like me, this week are, are going through your Bible reading and God speaks to you radically through one verse, even half a verse of Scripture, hang out on it because the presence of God is more important than getting through your daily Bible reading. The second one is our worship. You see, the worship is not about our personal preference. The worship is not about our personal song choice. Worship is not about we like songs with the organ because we can worship better. Worship is about entering into the presence of God. And when we do that as a church collectively, it doesn't matter what my personal preference is, it doesn't matter what your personal preference is, can we enter the presence of God when we corporately sing in worship? There's a revival breaking out across the world that came out of Osbury University. Asbury University, and I've spoken about it before, but what's interesting is that the worship has been so spirit-filled and it's been so simple. They haven't had song words, it's just been when people enter into the presence of God, their hearts are just lifted in worship, even if they don't know the song. It hasn't been about personal preference, it's been about transitioning out of singing the songs and performing good music and definitely about not being a performance. There's been no lights, there's been no smoke machines, there's no been, you know, all the things that Ed Sheeran's done at the MCG this week. It's just been about entering the presence of God. So again, maybe like me, just with some AirPods this week, you can put on some Christian music and enter the presence of God. And it doesn't matter what song it is, whether it's an old Wesley hymn or whether it's something from the latest... 2023 Christian worship album. It's about transitioning into our relationship with God as we worship. And the third one is prayer. That prayer is not just something that we think we'll get around to eventually. It's not something that we just think, well, prayer is a good thing to do, I'll get around to it one day, or even that we just kind of uh, tick off that we've prayed for the day, but that prayer actually becomes a lifestyle that we live. The prayer actually becomes our heart's desire. I, I was reading a church this week, uh, about a church this week, actually a church called Saint Church that some of us are going to visit when we go to um, uh, the UK in May. And, and they, they have actually this week changed their, their core mission statement, all of their core values, because they realised as they looked at it, prayer was not front and centre. 
prayer should be front and centre for our church. It should be the core way, like worshipping, like reading the Bible, it should be the core way in which we enter the presence of God. And so if we're seeking to enter into the presence of God, then prayer becomes a tool that we use to enter the presence of God in order that we listen to God, not that we just sort of tick it off and say, yep, we've done that for the day. So my challenge to you this week is to examine your heart because the challenge to Nicodemus was not his physical standing with God, it was how was his heart? Was his heart willing to transition from his pride of being a good Jew into worshipping Jesus if that meant he had to give up his status in the Sanhedrin and in the synagogue? The challenge to each of us, and it's a challenge to me as well, are we more focused on maintaining our comfort and our predictable life than being hungry for God and sold out for God. I don't know your background and I know we come from a variety of backgrounds and I don't know what the version of the word is. I know some people um, have brought up, you know, you step into a deeper relationship with God. Some people talk about pressing into who God is or going deeper with God. Whatever it looks like for you to take the next step in your discipleship walk with Jesus we should be trying to take that step during Lent and we as a church should be trying to take that step during this Lent as well. We should be thinking maybe even repentance is the word or conversion is your word but the idea of repentance is is not punishment, it's not woe to me for being a sinner and punishing myself, it's no, it's I realised that the way that I was going was wrong, God has a better way, I'm going to turn away from my own way and turn onto the ways of God. So whether it's stepping in to a deeper relationship, whether it's pressing into God, whether it's going deeper, whether it's uh, repenting, whatever the word that you grew up with that means that next step, I encourage you to take it in these 40 days of Lent because Jesus gave Nicodemus an invitation to be born again even though Nicodemus didn't understand what it meant but really it was about entering into the kingdom of God. That invitation is available to you today. I would so love as the minister here to be able to force you to take it. I would love for us to be pressing in, stepping in, repenting, all of those things, but I can't make you do it. The spiritual temperature of our church is not dependent on me because I can't do this for any of you. If you don't take this step, if you don't press in, if you don't go deeper, then that's between you and God. But really, that's all I can do because that's what it was for Nick. Nicodemus had to make that decision himself and the invitation is to you as well. So gracious God, we praise and thank you for who you are. We thank you that you long to be in relationship with us, that you long to be present with us. Lord, just like Nicodemus, each one of us has to make the decision to dig deeper, to step in, to take the spiritual conversion. We pray that we would have the courage to do that, whatever it costs us. And we do this for your good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.